Welcome to Native Calgarian. Today is June 9th, 2019. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, north of the border the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and Sustina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Status, Inuit, Non-Status, across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Oki, Mekochis Chase Tokom Aki, or Red Thunder Woman. My spirit name is um, given to me in ceremony. My humblest apologies to Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I tried to learn proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot as a guest. My name, Michelle Robinson, I was also born as Michelle Elliott, has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene. My Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My knowledge of uh, my Dene lineage um, goes all across not just Turtle Island, North America, but into the Americans down in the South America, Central America area. My people, though, are not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area, which in my language is Clincho Tine Indahe, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. That's a pan-Indigenous idea, but I can share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything that we talk about today, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, and it's open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area, too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but can listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So I want to start off by saying happy Pride and happy Indigenous Awareness Month. I want to say thank you to Spirit River Striped Wolf for being on the previous show. I hope that folks listened in. I think that uh, they have so much to share. So I hope you heard it. So lots has happened since my last show. I wanted to uh, acknowledge that the <laughs> 50 years later, New York Police Department has finally apologized for the raiding of Stonewall Inn, which is hysterical because... You know, right away, there was a a great article I seen from uh, leftvoice.org that said, apology not accepted. And they said, I'll just read a a small snippet from there. And it said, James O'Neill's short speech in no way makes up for the deep pain and violence caused by the NYPD. And his apology reeks of hypocrisy 
as just two years earlier when he was asked if he would apologize for Stonewall, he said, I think that's been addressed already. We're moving forward. That's not the real problem. Apologies mean an intention to change, and the NYPD has no intention of changing. They still remain an impressive arm of the capitalist state, reinforcing all of the oppression and exploitation of this rotten system. And then it says, the police still beat and kill. Only a few months ago, the ACLU filed a lawsuit against the NYPD on behalf of Linda Dom- Dominikis, a trans woman who was mocked, misgendered, and placed in pink handcuffs overnight and charged with false impersonation. Her crime? Walking home. And in fact, 61% of transgender respondents in a 2015 survey in New York State reported that they had faced harassment by the police. And in a 2012 report of trans Latinas in LA revealed that 24% of respondents had been sexually assaulted by the police. So it's hard to believe that the NYPD is any better. And I, I only said a snippet, but the whole article was really great. And I shared it on Voices and Native Calgarian. And uh, I shared it more at the end where um, it talked about the capitalist system and particularly the uh, Democratic Party is a co-opting machine. If a profit can be made, the capitalist system will find a way to integrate it. And the integration has occurred very quickly with LGBTQ people. 16 years ago, sodomy was still illegal in 14 states, and it was only 50 years ago that LGBT could frequent could frequently have their names published in newspapers for the crime of not wearing gender-specific clothing. Today, all major corporations have rainbow gear for purchase, t-shirts, water bottles, sneakers, headbands, coffee mugs, everything. All of the major politicians have tweeted about LGBTQ2 plus rights, even Donald Trump. I'm going to read you a tweet that he put out May 31st. As we celebrate Pride Month and recognize the outstanding contributions LGBT people have made to our great nation, let's also stand in solidarity with the many LGBT people who live in dozens of countries worldwide that punish, imprison, or even execute individuals. Man, I don't even know how to respond to that, as if that's not what is happening in the States, and as if he has a clue about any of this. Anyway, there's some really great, uh, there's a lot more to that article. I really hope that people listen to it. But I just wanted to acknowledge it because at the end of the day, Stonewall really did ignite, you know, global rights. And I, I, I think that when I, when I read how they went about it, and I, I read that history, and the police oppression that happened, I just wonder how, how many more times that's going to happen. And really, it just seems like the LA riots, if you if you go back to Rodney King and the and the actual verdict, that's what it was. It was, you know, the most marginalized people saying, we are so done with this police brutality and, and caused riots. And, you know, I, I don't want to have to see riots in order for us to make change. But at the end of the day, that's kind of where we're at. And, uh, you know, Justice, now Sen- Senator Sinclair, has said, if we don't start addressing Indigenous issues... We may start seeing that, and I don't want to see that, but at the same time, I do want to see change because our people are dying. So um, one other thing I, I want to bring up is, and that I, I hope it inspires other Christians that might be listening to this show, um, you know, reconciliation, 
bigger picture, obviously, with Indigenous people, but it's actually a pretty big picture, too. I don't want to uh, misuse my words there by, by talking about Christians with, with LGBTQ2 plus views. Um, I really want to give a shout out to Pam Rocker. She does affirming uh, teachings here in Calgary and talks about how actually you can be LGBTQ2 plus and still be a Christian and, you know, have your family who is Christian not reject you and does those teachings about, you know, love and, and what Jesus was really all about, all those things. And I, I don't necessarily identify as Christian. I just know that my people have made so many sacrifices for the Christian faith here in North America. So I, um, I think that Anyway, I really want to share this one article with you. Christian surprise prayed, pride parade marchers with signs of apology for their anti-LGBTQ2 plus views. So this was actually in the Philippines. And there was a whole group of people that came and surprised them. And, and they weren't protest video or signs. They were in solidarity signs. And, and they were really beautiful. Um, some of them talked about, uh, you know, I'm sorry, LGBTQ are loved. Uh, God loves you. And so do we, uh, you know, just basically we're really sorry for the oppressive language that was used before. Just trying to bring up one of the, they have this big banner that says, we are here to apologize for the ways that we as Christians have harmed the LGBT community, uh, for hiding behind religion when I was really scared. I have looked down on you instead of honoring your humanity or for not listening. Um, I've looked down at you as a sex act instead of a child of God. I've rejected and hurt your family in the name of va family values. And I'm sorry for judging you. <clears throat> there was, uh, I think that this is really critical, especially here in North America, because, you know, Christian values were forced on these lands. They were forced on indigenous people. All of our different genders across all of the, you know, hundreds of nations that we have, we're all forced into this binary of fem female, male, and forced to be straight. And that, of course, can't work when people, you can't force people to be straight when they're not. And vice versa, no one can force me to be gay when I'm not. So, you know, it's one of those things that uh, that straight agenda was forced upon these lands. And to see, you know, work like Pam Rocker, what she's doing and what other people are doing, obviously, globally, what this is in the Philippines, to be saying, I'm sorry for using a faith to oppress people. Uh, I think this is a huge, big step. And I, I also bring it up because, you know, even in my own family, we still have some homophobic, transphobic belief systems. And I really want to promote it because, you know, they survived Indian residential schools. They survived the horrific abuses that had happened. And for some of my family members, they are still going to be proud Catholics and proud Christians because, you know what, they survived that. I'm not going to judge them for being Christian, but I am going to try to show them, you know, a way that we can honor their religious beliefs and still be kind to folks in our own family who identify as lesbian or transgender. And because uh, I do, I honor my family members. I love them unconditionally. I think the sacrifices Indigenous have had to make through these boarding schools, Indian residential schools, the day, day schools, in my opinion, we've sacrificed the most for this religion. And, you know, I really want to help my own people find the path to 
be able to make peace with, okay, maybe being, um, you know, identifying as indigenous will be too hard. Maybe identifying as with indigenous spiritual beliefs will be too hard. But at the very least, if we can just make peace with this, I want to do that. So that's, you know, something I wanted to point out to folks who are, who are still struggling, still struggling with the idea of um, LGBTQ2 plus views and their Christian faith, because you can have both and you don't have to reject family members and you don't have to be a bad Christian in order to do all of these things. And, you know, I know even for my own family, there are times they're like, why are you doing all of this work with the liberals? And I just try to remind them, you know, our, our core values and, and that I truly believe if Jesus was a real person, that this is what he would be doing. It'd be, you know, we know that the most homeless um, demographic is LGBTQ2 plus youth that have been rejected by their family. Um, many people have, who in that community have been forced into sex work because um, the way, the bias against, um, you know, having employees that identifies LGBTQ2 plus or, you know, people of color, uh, brown folks, we have indigenous, obviously, people with disabilities, all these folks don't necessarily get the jobs, or they're the first ones to be let go. And of course, that's unacceptable. That's discrimination, but that's not going to change anything. That's just the reality. So I, I truly believe that if, you know, Christians believe in, we're all God's children, that we should be lifting all of God's children. So anyway, that's my, um, I guess, Sunday morning preaching. <laughs> I don't know where that came from at all. But anyway, so I wanted to um, let folks know that I uh, I really appreciate some of the kind words that have been said to me. I uh, was tagged in an Instagram post from somebody who read or was listening to episode 39 in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en that aired on January 9th. And and this person said, if you want to understand the pipeline conversation from a different perspective, it was a really informative and thoughtful piece. Michelle asked a lot of good questions that I think we need, that I think a lot of us aren't willing to ask, but that we need to. And she also caveated it and said, or they did, uh, please don't bother listening if you're going to get defensive and attack her, only if you're ready to and ready and willing to learn. <laughs> so I wanted to say thank you. Um, I, I didn't get permission to um, post that. I wasn't 100% sure. I'm not really good with Instagram because I, I guess I'm old and I just don't have time to look into it. So I wasn't 100% certain if that was a public post. So I, I just I screened out the person who did it just because I didn't want to, um, you know, name them and, and have them be targeted with any sort of harassment as well for for putting that out there, but it was definitely available to their Instagram following. And I'm really grateful that they would say something so nice and so kind. So uh, something I've been um, really struggling this week has been probably one of the hardest weeks of my life. And it's because the uh, National Inquiry Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls um, and Two-Spirit report came out. And in, uh, the backlash from the Canadian media and from Canadians has been one of the hardest things to read, even after the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action and 
you know, all of the great work that I, I feel Justin is doing on reconciliation and mandating all of the cabinet ministers to focus on this relationship. Despite all of this, at the end of the day, the, you know, troll bots on social media, and unfortunately, those who are in the position of power in media to give opinion pieces that are non-Indigenous gave awful, awful opinion pieces. And it, and it was really hurtful for me. And I, I just don't understand the lack of empathy that comes from people like this. But here we are, 2019, middle, like on Aboriginal Awareness Week or Aboriginal Indigenous Awareness Month. I'm still not used to the, our new terms, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to read a really wonderful um, comment that Christy Belcourt put out publicly on June 5th. And she said, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge all the women, family, loved ones, and friends who took to the streets, did street patrol, had held vigils, demanded justice, did their own investigations, who for 30 years did all of this work when no one believed that there was an epidemic and no one would listen. It's because of their work that the inquiry came out. I'd like to acknowledge all of the family, friends, and loved ones of those missing or murdered to say that I've been thinking about you all week, feeling the weight of what you must be feeling, and I've been finding myself wanting to be quiet in the face of all of it, maybe so that some space could be made to hear all of you. Sometimes it's better to not take media requests so that space for ones who should be given the chance to speak do. I haven't read the full report yet, but I will. All I can hope for is that there will be justice for your family members and that some good will come out of this. And I thought that was really a great, great statement because I felt like the whole point of this was absolutely being lost in those opinion pieces and um, the families themselves. It's not really centered around them. Um, the, I, I think a lot of folks don't understand how hard this is on Indigenous people. Um, within the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came out, a lot of our elders did give their testimonies and shortly after were, were, were dead at the end of the day. Some of them were triggered and fell back into their addictions. Some died, just died. Um, suicide, addiction, and, um, we lost a lot of elders shortly, very quickly, right after the Truth and Reconciliation Commission testimonies. And it, it's not a, a poor reflection at all on the three commissioners. I, I know um, I went to one of the last major sessions in Edmonton, and they had, you know, workers, wellness workers everywhere, and which I'm grateful for. And I know that there was a place to smudge and there was a lot of kindness was interesting because when I did the testimony for the MMIW, I really thought there would be a similar approach, but there wasn't. So we actually went out and had a smudge where you would have a smoke in at a hotel where I gave my testimony. And uh, yeah, I was, I was saddened that the way that the whole inquiry was, was approached. And you know, it's funny, I tell people under the Inquiry Act, you know, there's only so much so-called justice that can even happen. And it's interesting when I tell people that and then, you know, later they pair it, it back to me and are, are almost trying to, you know, uh, 
I don't know, sound, sound like they understood what was happening, but I was commission, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it was more of a, it was funded by the survivors. There was a portion of that that went and funded it. So it wasn't technically funded through the government. Um, as well as with the inquiry, it was funded through the government. So very, very big difference there. Anyway, no question, both had their issues. But because that happened with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, I've been feeling very heavy knowing the gravity of the pain that all these families are going through and what is happening. And it wasn't a coincidence. I was getting texts at, you know, three in the morning from some folks. And um, I got in touch with another family member. She reached me out of the blue. And I was really happy to hear from her because I hadn't heard from her for a super long time. And she was a mother of one of the lost ones here in the city and uh, has been, due to the death of her daughter, was um, homeless from it and has not been able to, you know, have permanent housing since. And that's been really hard on my heart because people don't understand the gravity of having an Indian residential school survivor who was already struggling with addiction and severe health issues from the way they were treated from it to um, lose their daughter in an awful, brutal way. And that daughter being one of the financial carriers for them to even have housing and so not just lost her daughter, but lost her, her stability and fell back into addiction. And I just, you know, then shortly after the auntie that reached out to me from that case died. So this was the, the sister. And I, I just, I don't think Canada understands when we say this is genocide, it's 100% genocide from our perspective. And because the media has these non-Indigenous commentators with no concept of what Indigenous people are going through, they get to take all of the space on this conversation. And they get to be hurt and offended by the word genocide, which is exactly why I shared the Walking Eagle News article that said that there was um, a white man who was injured by the use of the word genocide. I'm just going to read it. An Ottawa man is suffering significant injuries after he was struck by the word genocide on Monday morning, eyewitnesses say. He was on the phone, walking down the street when this word genocide comes barreling out of nowhere, says Mel Zoria, who watched the whole scene unfold. He didn't have any physical injuries that I could see, but you could tell that he was really, really hurt. Paramedics were called to the scene around 9 a.m. where they found the men being attended by passerbys who suddenly were experts in what constitutes, constitutes genocide. People in local business said they could hear the white man shouting in pain. Authorities said this could just be one of dozens of incidents across Canada where white men, mostly older, are injured by the use of the word genocide but are unfazed by the act of genocide itself. Tim Fontaine, you're a genius, or whoever else wrote that with you. I'm so grateful you did, because I can't even anymore. How are we here? How are we here that people can't even, you know, say their truths on this without it being like, you know, this huge debate? One of the articles that I shared, I shared a lot this week. Um, I think that was my way of trying to deal with it and staying on top of the media coverage and making sure I seen the what was being said and hopefully amplify the voices of some of the family members 
that we're able to get some space on some of these news articles. And one that came out, nobody's more shocked than I am. It's from the National Post because they don't usually have good articles when it comes to Indigenous people. They usually perpetuate a lot of um, hateful, racist things. But this one was actually okay. And it talked about the MMIW inquiry drew from 98 earlier reports and the same problems and unrealized solutions echoed through them all. Uh, Since the 1907 Bryce report, publications about uh, crisis and Indigenous welfare in Canada have been downplayed and often ignored wholesale. Uh, Let me just find Dr. Uh, Peter Henson Bryce, the author of the report, more than a century ago, and at the time the federal chief medical officer waged a one-man campaign to expose the appalling death rates of tuberculosis in Indian residential schools for Indigenous children. He advocated for reforms to ventilation and hygiene and argued the government was within unpleasant nearness of the charge of manslaughter. Bryce was forced into early retirement, and the deputy Indian affairs minister at the time an ardent assimilationist, dismissed his concerns. The same deputy minister later conceded that half the children who passed through these schools did not live to benefit from the education that they received. Since Bryce's time, what feels like an infinite amount of inquiries commissions have followed on his heels. Like him, they have condemned the official action and inaction towards Indigenous people in the harshest terms that they could think of. They had made recommendations endless recommendations, recommendations to implement past recommendations. In fact, the creation of the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls was itself a recommendation made in the 2015 report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The final report of the inquiry delivered Monday also made recommendations, 231 in all. There are actually calls to justice, but, you know, I'm not going to get too mad at the National Post for not putting that here right this second. Some, like establishing a universal basic income and harsher sentencing for offenders who target Indigenous women, are bold and controversial. But it's striking how many others we've heard before. According to the Director of Research at the Inquiry, it drew from 98 previous reports that focused on violence against women in Canada or touched on the issue. Some came from governments, parliamentary committees, provincial commissions of inquiry, coroners and quests, and so on, but others were produced by Indigenous groups, academics, and advocacy groups like Amnesty International. In some ways, this report was different from those that had come before. It was a truly national investigation Canada has ever had into MMIW. It was granted what it was described as the broadest mandate in Canadian public inquiry has ever received, including powers to subpoena documents and compel witnesses to testify. It also investigated root causes of violence against Indigenous women across Canada, not the actions of any particular agency or group. The National Post combed through about a dozen of these reports earlier, and it was made clear that they had long identified many reoccurring themes and some recommendations made over and over again. This week, much of the attention has focused on the inquiry's recommendations around policing and the judicial system. Several uh, other fairly themed, uh, specific themes emerged from the reports, among them transportation, housing, and data collection. Um, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I wanted to give you that idea. And another article that I came across that I thought was really important 
was actually about um, the RCMP's awful reporting that most victims know their offenders and their uh, Indigenous men. I thought that was, like, I'm offended that it took a reporter to publish it in order for people to believe it because I know many organizations from, you know, Awaton Healing Lodge to the advancement of Aboriginal women here in Alberta to uh, folks across the country had talked about how that was wrong then and our voices were never amplified. So, you know, I'm glad that now it's being amplified, but it took obviously a non-Indigenous reporter to say it in order for people to listen. But here we are. Uh, CBC had an article about, um, you know, the report calls on Canadians on how to act and here's how you do it. So they actually listed some of the justice uh, calls to action or calls for justice, I should call them. And, um, you know, breaking down uh, actual stigma, bias, those things. The first thing on there is read the final report. I mean, I know I've been working for three years to try to get people to read the 94 calls to action. (laughs) I don't know, you know, how to say this in a kind way, but 94 calls to action, it's been three years and a lot of people still don't know it. Um, I don't think I said this in my last podcast because I wasn't ready to say it, but I was given the full series of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report from an NDPer that lost their seat uh, here. And I I know it was a kind gift and I appreciate the gift and I know this gift will be u- utilized to help others. But it bothered me that, you know, okay, you're no longer an MLA, but you're still a Canadian. And how do you not see your role in in keeping these books and reading these books. And the person who gave it to me was even indignant that I even suggested that, you know, this is the TRC report. And uh, there are a lot of people who don't have a copy of it. They've certainly never read it. I have the whole series and I haven't been able to read the whole thing yet because, you know, I'm in survival mode, all the rest of it, which kind of brings me to the other point. And it's that, Everyone has been asking me, so what do you think of the report? And I find it insulting. I'm not going to lie. It's an insulting question to be asking somebody. Number one, it hurts like hell. You know, it's like, hey, could you imagine asking a Jewish person after the very first, like, inquiry after the Holocaust to be like, hey, so what do you think of that report? You know, most of Germany really didn't acknowledge the fact of what they did was wrong. To this day, we still have Holocaust deniers. Well, to this day, we definitely have Canadian uh, denial when it comes to the genocide of Indigenous people. So, you know, it, it, it hurts to be asked that question. In fact, I'm shocked how I went to an anti-racism roundtable discussion on Friday and I was absolutely appalled. I have been friends with folks for years. I've been sharing the awful, awful things that Jason Kenney and, and Stephen Harper had done to Indigenous people so bad that I don't know more was launched from it. And people were offended. I was not happy Jason Kenney was my new premier. I ran against him for a reason. Clearly did not listen to a goddamn word I said while I ran. 
clearly did not understand the gravity of what Harper and Kenny had done to us as Indigenous people federally. You know how hard it is to come out in Alberta, in Calgary, as a second-generation industry person to say, you know what, I'm a liberal and I don't agree with conservatives? Do you have any idea? <sighs> anyway, so the inquiry comes out. And guess what? I have to work like everybody else. I don't have time to sit down and read it like everybody else. I haven't had time to read the whole commission report, like all volumes of, of all these books. Because I have to like live a life and work and get my daughter going. And you know what? It hurts and it's painful to read whether it's the Truth and Reconciliation Commission or whether it's this. It hurts. It hurts being triggered and seeing my my family went through. It hurts. And for there to be an expectation for me to not just take the time to be able to read over 1,200 pages of a report. You don't understand. This is going to take ceremony. It's going to take me finding a, you know, a safe place. Probably the only place I can think of is my home. Opening it up, having a smudge go, you know, giving the heads up to my family. Like, I feel like I've been beat up this month or this week from from all of the reports that have come out from commentators who have no concept of what they're talking about to all the awful comments I've read online. Even addiction. I had a friend from a long time ago. I used to be in Sea Cadets and, you know, he was mansplaining his ignorance about addiction, trying to claim that um, he knows all about it. When I literally shared a page tagging, you know, mom's, uh, would, there, there's an organization of, of parents, moms specific, specifically that have been harmed from this opioid crisis and they've, you know, been the advocates to try to combat it and it's uh, mom stop the harm and I tagged them and took their words so that people could read what they were saying because to me, again, this is family-led. The opioid crisis is its it, I mean, as a con if you were conservative, thinking conservative, it would actually save you money to address it. But that's not where these folks are coming from. These are family members that have lost their loved ones. So they're giving their voice to it. And I obviously want to amplify their voice. And I try to quote them as often as I can. <sighs> and then, you know, Jimbo comes on and gives his ignorant opinion. And, you know, I, I just find it so shocking how many people think that it's acceptable to talk about something you know nothing about, whether it's opioids, talking to family members who have lost loved ones, whether it's, you know, MMIW and talking to families that have lost loved ones, Indian residential school survivors. <laughs> I, I don't understand how people don't see this. I'm not a compassionate person. I was like, I was raised in domestic violence. I, you know, come from a blunt, retired boilermaker. <laughs> I grew up in central Alberta, the home of where they would like burn uh, crosses. I don't understand. I went through the same education system as everybody else from central Alberta. How come I'm here and they're not? I, some days I will never understand this. And I know I like to read and escape into books, but I'm I'm sure it's more than that. Like, I, I don't understand that disconnect. I don't understand how folks are okay with being so anti-immigration. 
when it was so clear that's what led, you know, Hitler and Germany down this road of um, extermination. Anyway, 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 back to the report. I just, um, I don't know what it's going to take for Canadians to respect Indigenous people. I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, but I, uh, I just want to think about my daughter, the next generation of kids, and try to move that a little bit, that conversation, so it's that much less that they have to move later. But there is a big piece of me that thinks it has moved. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission with social media has moved it. So Idol No More has moved it. So I think we're a little further than we've ever been, for sure. And I'm painfully aware how everybody was okay with putting down Indigenous women in the aftermath of this inquiry. And I can't tell you how deeply painful it is. Because I have a little girl. Because it doesn't honor my mom's experience. Of course, it doesn't honor my experience either. So I've just been crying a lot all week. Reading, you know, shitty opinions from shitty people about their idea of genocide. And I think one of the worst ones that hurt the most was um, Wob Canoes. Because his he focused it on his boys, not the inquiry, and not the families. And I just... I don't know. I, I just don't understand how you can take that space. And on, on Twitter, a lot of people call out his misogyny that he had already had in his rapping and all of that. And I'd like to think that he had grown a lot since then. And, you know, I wasn't going to judge him totally based on that. Obviously, he picked the wrong party because I'm red and he's orange. But, you know, I, I'm, I can overlook these things in the hope that he'll be a strong leader. And uh, <laughs> And then he said what he said about uh, the inquiry report and I was really really devastated uh, Romeo Dallaire someone I've always looked up to um, I've listened to him speak a couple of times and one time he talked about how we have to start thinking about not just like four years from now but 50 year planning and even 200 year planning and I told them that you know indigenous culture we believe in seven generations looking forward and he said, yep, yep, that looks, that seems right. And he seemed okay with that. Then for him to come out and say what he said about the inquiry report, I lost a lot of respect. And, you know, it just shows how colonized I am that I, you know, really thought maybe he, out of all people, would be our advocate, but he wasn't. The opposite, I think he took us back. And that, again, these are reasons why I was crying all week and and it hurt and, and it sucks because, you know, you're doing that in front of your kid and you want to show strength and it is strong to cry in front of your kids and try to talk about it but it's not their job to mother and I know a lot of hugs she felt compelled to give me and I, I hate that because you know I, I don't want that for her but I, I think it's important for her to see this see the trauma and how much it hurts going through all of this and the other thing that really weighs on me is that there is a lot of family members that uh, want to go through this report and I know I'm going to have to try to figure out how to create a safe space for us all to be 
where we can smudge, not be interrupted, where we can cry. And we can take care of ourselves as a community, do community care as we go through it. Um, you know, I think of a lot of the family members that are just, they're even quoted throughout the inquiry. And I don't blame them for being unable to read it quite yet. So I have a lawyer friend who um, is working on getting me a copy. And I reached out to the inquiry and they were pretty dismissive and said, no, we only have limited amounts um, out there. So, But I, I did put out kind of a status explaining some of this and one a few a few friends reached out but one specifically said I will find you a copy if you need a copy so I thought that was very kind of him to reach out that way so thank you um anyway if I'm going through all of this and I have my mom after everything we went through you know I I just feel so awful for what other family members are going through right now, whether it was their daughter, whether it was their sister, whether or their grandma, auntie, their niece. I know what it's like to have so many people not care. And I know what it was like for my mom. To this day, she still feels like she's um, dishonoring the Catholic Church by being divorced. She's so... Anyway, I, I, I wish I could get her to come on the show and tell her story. I wish I could get my granny to come on and tell her story. But it's not something that they are open to doing quite yet. This um, CBC article talked about things that non-Indigenous can do. And I think by now, if you're a person that listens to my show, you know I have always given you solutions. There have always been solutions. But I'm going to go over what they wrote anyway, in the hopes that if you are a first time listening to the show, that maybe this will be the one time you hear this. First, develop knowledge and read the final report. Listen to the truth shared and acknowledge the burden of these humans and Indigenous rights violations and how they impact Indigenous women, girls, and LGBTQ2+, um, and they actually listed it, two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, and asexual people today. Using what you've learned and some of the resources suggested, become a strong ally. Being a strong ally involves more than just tolerance. It means actively working to break down barriers and support others in every relationship and encounter in which you participate. Confront and speak out against racism, sexism, ignorance, homophobia, and transphobia, and teach or encourage others to do the same whenever it occurs in your home, in your workplace, or your social status. Uh, settings. It says, but how? How do you apply those grand statements in a practical way? You know, the report which concluded that missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls are victims of a wider genocide listed 231 calls to justice that need to be taken up by governments and Canadians in order to make substantive changes. CBC News asked a, numer asked a number of Indigenous leaders to weigh in on how each person can contrib contribute and hear their responses. When they asked Sadie, um, a two-spirit Anishinaabe, her or their um, op opinions, they had uh, some a nonprofit consultant who facilitates training sessions on anti-oppression and dismantling racism. Shout out to you, Jackie. 
Um, maybe I should talk about racial battle fatigue more, but I definitely had some really awful experiences with my land acknowledgements recently. Um, so they gave some ideas. Um, Professor Sinclair, uh, the U of M, he put out some ideas as well. So I, I hope that you get a chance to read some of these other folks. So Darren, the reporter and editor who posted that, and thank you for putting that out. I hope if there's one article people read the most, maybe it's yours in the hopes that we can start moving this forward because I feel like I've been working for four years on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and I don't know if people fully get it. Obviously, I work with the Liberal Party federally because they do. I ran for the provincial liberals because they do. And, um, you know, it, I'm obviously in Calgary, Alberta, so I respect and understand that other places across the country, you're not going to have that same level of, you know, where it's only the liberals. Like there might be NDP that get it, but there might be Green Party that get it. We were just in Victoria at a wedding and it was really great to be in Elizabeth May's riding. And uh, I I wish I wish we could have more dialogues in, in between, you know, me as a representative of Calgary, Alberta and Elizabeth May and her riding. I I know there are some really great folks there and I, you know, strongly hope that we can start having conversations about, about different things and specifically consent. <laughs> consent is something that, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see more conversations around anyway. So yeah, you know, even talking about this, I'm, I'm feeling really heavy, um, you know, Walking Eagle News, I can't thank you, Tim Fontaine, enough for the work that you do. Uh, because I needed some of those laughs and those giggles in the in the middle of this insanity. Uh, I can't tell you how isolated and alone I felt. Um, I've been really blessed to never feel suicidal. I uh, have my daughter and my husband. I have my dogs. And ultimately, I can log off the world if I need to. So I've never had that hopelessness that I know a lot of other folks do. And I know I have it so much better than what my mom went through and so much better than what my, my other family members went through. And I'm grateful to be here actually. And I feel the opposite where here you have genocide that happened. And if my family can survive, you know, violence against indigenous women, in so many different ways, the very least I can do is honor that by trying to talk about solutions. We've always brought solutions to the table. It's just that some people, they don't listen. So I um, have been sharing a little bit about gaslighting in the hopes that folks who do feel alone can know that this is like purposefully done to ignore what we're saying. Like all of these folks who, you know, have gotten the voice to say genocide's not a thing, um, I've been putting this out there because there's a lot of indigenous people hurting. If I'm hurting, there are other people hurting. And, uh, so I just wanted to remind people what, you know, abuse really is and then how Canada has always perpetrated that against indigenous people and, uh, gaslighting 101 is denying our truths. So, you know, that is an invisible violence that continues today. So, the trauma of the report even coming out is its own trauma. And I, I acknowledge that. And I 
want everyone who might be listening who's Indigenous to know this is not your fault. This is the way to be able to continue to have these stolen lands and to not honor the treaties and to continue the status quo of, you know, a lot of rich white men making a lot of money off the backs of our people and our lands. So you are not alone. You are certainly not crazy. We are one of the first generations to be able to actually speak our truths and not, well, no, we're still being thrown in mental health institutions and um, jails, but, you know, you don't necessarily, even if you are oppressed through these stupid systems, you can know in your heart that you're right. Our spirits are with us, guiding us. And that, that's the other part of why I don't ever feel suicidal, because I know... <laughs> I'm sure our, our our ancestors are even kind of giggling like, you know, I know this hurts. That stupid human body of yours, it hurts. But I'm here and everything's fine and you guys need to move on and have be happy. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I'll just speak for me on that. Obviously, I don't speak for all Indigenous people, but ask questions. Folks out there, if you're you know, wanting to know more, wanting to understand more our perspective. But it is super heavy. And I I know it's hard to talk about these things. And I'm not here to make you feel comfortable for sure. I, um, I was hurt on Friday, and I let it all out by letting people know, like, 94 calls to action, the average person still doesn't know about them, let alone 231 calls to justice. So it looks like I got my work cut out for me. That's for sure, as does every other Indigenous person who, you know, is constantly doing that um, education for free. Uh, Racial battle fatigue, it's a real thing. And I'm just going to give another shout out to AROC for all the great work that you've done. You've helped validate me in my low times. I'm grateful for that. So with that, I will say Indigenous have been talking about the issues, sharing our traumas and reports commissions, public hearings, so just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor those words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budgets with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, not showing up at pride, Know your vote to that party directly, negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, health, justice institutions with multiple reports that say so. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they have literally zero business running. It should be understood by all parties and local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc., Violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is why I started the podcast, to just speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people do not want to hear Indigenous opinion. sure want to tell us theirs. 
and by people who know nothing about Indigenous, who know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, folks who are gatekeepers, who survive off the status quo, people who are really in their trauma still, and stop people from doing the work and deplete the personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. That is why I needed this podcast, to be heard and to heal. My hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future, trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand. I want to put out cultural safety in action to try to create a safer space for Indigenous people, people of colour, brown folks, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+. Look at it as first aid for marginalized folks. When you see somebody saying something oppressive, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions of those with more understanding. Find allies and create a support system. And take responsibility for your learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Don't expect this to come for free from Indigenous people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your assumptions, your biases. Unlearn what you have learned about Indigenous people. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to give a shout out to heretohelp.bc.ca for their What is Indigenous Cultural Safety and Why I Should Care About It. There's lots of um, information online today about internalized racism. It's another form of violence against Indigenous and marginalized folks. I wanted to uh, encourage folks to learn about the Indian Act, Indian Residential Schools, and other Clearing the Plains uh, policies. There's good books out there about it. You know, you can always be um, a witness to folks. You know, be a witness, videotape it. Uh, be there for the person being harassed. Don't necessarily call the police unless you have permission. But know that your silence is dangerous because it communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. And if you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed and communicate your support with your body. Teach your kids about accountability in a positive way. Ask, what did you mean by that? As a subtle way to hold people account when they say things that are, you know, even a gender put down. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through your Austrian family roots and teaching me up to be a proud Calgarian. Through you, I'm a second-generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and the support on my journey down the red road, he's been the witness to racism and sexism, decades of it. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from every day, I am so honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a stronger, better person. 
My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you. I want to say thank you to Alexandra, Ashley, Beatrice, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Joni, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Leah, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation in the past or many or had to quit for financial reasons, please know I still appreciate your support. Um, if you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but give a listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to say thank you to Leah Alengener for your comment. If your podcast is a blend of self-empowerment and healing for you, then it is propelled into the sound waves as I feel them here. And I thank you for it. Thank you for that kind word. I want to end with, when I side-eye these Calgary rabbits, you're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> I hope you have a great week, folks.